Zach, I bought an air fryer. Oh, I, I know that you're hugely praise, passionate about air fryers. Praise, cross that off the prayer list. Today I made a grilled cheese with turkey for lunch. Oh, it was really good. I don't know if that's called a grilled cheese anymore. I think that's just called a melt. Why can't I call it a grilled cheese? Because the ingredients are no longer just bread and grilled cheese. You now add in meat, which would then grilled. classify it as a melt. A sand- You've now entered into a different type of sandwich. We are not getting into that debate today. Okay, fine. <laughs> different episode. <laughs> hey, I'm happy you got an air fryer. I don't mean to take away from the goodness of the moment. Did you enjoy that melt? I did enjoy the grilled cheese, yes. Okay, good. Hey everyone, welcome back to Colin Zach in the Morning. This is episode 31 and we're excited to be back with you. You may not know this, but I know this. My co-host Zach was on a trip to Arizona. Zach, how was your trip? Oh, it was good. We It was a quick little business trip. Uh, we left Sunday night and got back Tuesday night. So just about 48 hours gone. Um, and did you it, accomplish all of your business? I did. I did. It was, uh, I was flying in to do my ordination interview uh, for the Church mm-hmm. of Nazarene. So uh, it went really well. How does that work now that you've been interviewed? Are you now ordained? I'm not. I'm still a candidate up until May 10th. I will be when they have the ordination service where the presiding general superintendent gives the full go ahead and then they pray for me and give me a nice little certificate with my name on it and then I'm good to go. So I'm still a candidate at this point, but there's nothing that really happens between now and then other than planning another trip back to Phoenix. And <laughs> um, I think I'd have to meet with the general superintendent as well. But those, I think that's not too much pressure there. Cool. And for those of us on this podcast that aren't certain about this, what does ordination mean? Yeah. Uh, so this encapsulates a nine year journey uh, of me answering Ooh, to my call to ministry. Yeah, I know it is. It is quite the momentous occasion, I've been told. Uh, for me, it's been a real, I, I mean this with so much respect, it's been a real gentle and easy process in the sense that when I received my call to ministry in high school, I have been uh, as faithfully obedient to that call as I can, which has led me to serve in ministries full-time and part-time, has led me to uh, do graduate work with a Christian ministry degree. And, and in order to get ordained, you have to have certain licensing for a certain amount of time, but really the big thing is uh, three years or three years of full-time service in the church or four years of part-time service. Uh, and then 25 courses uh, and mm-hmm. anything from like a preaching course uh, to women in ministry to Old Testament, New Testament, um, Christian history, all those kind of things to make sure that the that the ordained individual is not only called but also qualified. It's kind yeah, of a so, it's an affirmation process is what it is. So do you need to be ordained to be a pastor? How does that work? Uh, because, no, because you, you are know, a pastor. I am a pastor. Yeah. So I have there's kind of three layers. There's the local minister's license, which starts at your local church, and I got that my senior high school. And then there's your district license, which is with the district, which is like a, a certain amount of churches in that area, and that's. Uh, I got that my senior year of college. And then uh, once you receive your licensing, you you can be called a pastor, I think, at your local license, but you're not necessarily a reverend until you're, I believe, your district license. So I've been a pastor, licensed pastor. But mm-hmm. then once I'm ordained, then it's kind of this general entirety of the Church of Nazarene. Everyone, every district, every church recognizes me as a pastor. Does it come with like a discount card or any perks? 
You know what? I've I've heard there's like housing allowances or something like that. I don't even know what that means. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't pay for rent living at this <laughs> dorm yeah. I live in, so I I don't think they apply to me. But um, I don't know. Maybe like a triple A budget. I don't or like a triple A credit. I don't know. What, I don't know what I do. Like a lifetime supply of holy water or something. Yeah, like that? that's for sure. Um, free trips to Israel whenever I want and. <laughs> And if you and Ashley ever want to get remarried, I can I can officiate that bad boy. Yeah, maybe. I've got a <laughs> long list of ordained friends, so we'll uh, see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Sounds fun. I mean, I don't know yeah. if it's fun, but sounds exciting. It's, it's good. I think I'm sure a lot of people are sitting there going like, wow, this sounds like a lot of work to be obedient to a call in your life. And I used to be that way. I used to be really like, you know, I don't remember Peter and John, and all these disciples going through an ordination process. Yeah. But I mean, they lived with Jesus for three years. So I think there's a there's a thing of, yes, we are called to ministry. And I don't necessarily know if the church can take that away. There should be affirmation of it. Like if you're called, I should see fruit of that and want to affirm that in you. But there's also steps to equipping yourself to serve that calling out faithfully. So when the, when I'm ordained, the Church of the Nazarene is stamping their approval of Zach has gone through all the courses, has done ministry. We have seen fruit in his ministry. He is for sure called by God and we support him in his call. And you don't need to worry being under the tutelage or the listening ear or the care and shepherding of Zach. And those can be revoked at any point. And I'm aware of that too. Uh, Let's hope this podcast never leads to that. Am I right? Here, here. Well, I think we can add that to our description. You know, you got Cole and ordained Nazarene pastor, Zachary Tamez. Yeah. So a couple of days ago I was reading through Mark one. Um, mm-hmm. and there was a, this, the, it's the story of like John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord. And, and the, a couple of the gospel writers, they quote Isaiah, uh, of this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And that, and that's what John the Baptist felt his mission was. And so that's why I kind of started this conversation with you of how often do we compare ourselves to people in the Bible, as you, as you mentioned, and what is the validity of that? Because my initial thought and my initial conviction, this is something I'm still processing. I'm definitely not landed on what, like how holistically I believe in this, but I wonder if we can no longer compare ourselves to John the Baptist in the sense that we are not preparing the way for the Lord because the Lord, the incarnation has already happened. John Baptist's whole mission was I'm preparing the way for Jesus who then arrived on the scene. And so I wonder if that's something we can no longer, you know, relate with or feel as our personal call because Jesus has already come. Now, again, there's a second coming and all that, but I want to know your thoughts. We try to relate ourselves to every story in the Bible, and there are certain things that we can take from each story maybe, mm-hmm. um, but as a whole, I think our current context is not applicable to every story of the Bible. At least not a one-to-one and comparison. Not a one-to-one comparison, and I think John the Baptist is a great example because he, he his mission is for a very specific context. John the Baptist lived at a very specific time before Jesus's arrival, and that specific time came with its own specific requirements about what his life was going to look like. I think that's a good point because, and I don't want to take away the power of relating ourselves to people in Scripture. Like I'm reading, I'm reading a, a book by Esau Macaulay that talks about how um, the historical Black Church 
has always held very tightly to the people of Israel as they're leave uh, in in the Exodus story, that they find themselves mm-hmm. under under oppression and that they are liberated by God. There are themes that are so important. And, and even and to Esau Macaulay's point too, he talks about how God raises leaders like Moses to start that liberation. And so God is still, and so he would even say that like Martin Luther King Jr. was a leader raised by God for that civil rights movement to, to, to bring liberation from oppression. Um, that is God's work, but he partners with and calls people and raises people and equips people to then do that with him on his behalf, all those kind of, you know, all those things. Let's talk about what John the Baptist was preaching and proclaiming. Hmm. Like he was proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. Hmm. The Messiah is, is going to come like prepare the way, right? Yeah. That differs from the world that we live in because we live in this confusing reality where Mm. Jesus has come, right? We believe that through the Holy Spirit, the kingdom is here through us. Like that is a connection. And so there's a present tense to it, not a future mm -hmm. tense necessarily. But again, that's not what John the Baptist is preaching. He's preaching about the Messiah coming, and we get to preach about how the Messiah has come. Mm. Yeah. It really speaks to the power of the resurrection. Because again, this is a pre-resurrection, even as, and this is, and John the Baptist saying this is also like right before he baptizes Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. there's even some kind of liberties that people take where it's like John the Baptist is saying that, behold, the kingdom of heaven is near, where he's like, honestly, maybe even pointing to the kingdom of heaven is near. So when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, there is not necessarily, I don't think necessarily a timing to that, but a proximity to that of the one who is bringing heaven down to earth is here with us. And right mm. now we believe in a, in, in the same spirit that resurrected our savior is the same spirit that lives within us. And so that nearness, that proximity is still a factor. And that's where, and this is why I texted you a couple of days ago in reading Mark one, I think it gave a little bit of light, a lot more light, I should say, to Luke 5. And if anyone knows anything about me, I'm huge on Peter's calling. I'm huge on the story of Peter. Big Peter guy. Big Peter guy, which sounds kind of funny as we're talking about like how much do we relate to characters. When Peter is, of course, everyone, uh, most people probably know Peter's fishing all night. I'm in Luke 5. Peter's fishing all night, doesn't find anything. Jesus comes up and starts teaching and then asks him to pull off the shore and then says, hey, Peter, let down your nets. And Peter's like, dude, we've been fishing all night. And Jesus is like, no, pull up them nets. Drop your nets. I got you. And Peter's like, fine, rabbi, I'll listen to you. Of course, Peter does it. And now he has so much fish that another boat comes over to help. And now both boats are sinking. And it's this whole miracle. And in that moment, Peter then says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And I think we miss that Peter's repentance came from his proximity to his Savior, to his Lord. And so when John the Baptist says repent, in which we love sermons that say repent, change your ways, Peter's repentance came when he was in proximity, when he had an experience with his Lord. As Christians, I think this speaks, oh, I, I know I'm getting on a tangent. I'm so sorry, Cole, because I'm really passionate about no, it. Good. When it comes to our evangelism, our evangelism cannot just be, hey, repent, change your ways, like a John the Baptist would have done or we think he would have done, because God is coming again, which is what a lot of evangelism is. It says, hey, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge you, so you better repent. 
Peter's moment of giving his life or accepting Christ into his heart or whatever language we want to have comes with him experiencing the nearness, the proximity of his Lord that leads to his repentance that leads to his change. And then Jesus says, come follow me. And that is then his discipleship. Then the discipleship process starts after the evangelism. And so when we, when we are so quick to go, oh, we're going to be John the Baptist. We're going to prepare the way for the Lord. We then start to kind of maybe take out of understanding what is happening in these scenes. We make maybe some calls on what evangelism is that really is not there. So it's this kind of give and take this, that we, there's nuance that we have to wrestle with. I'll pause there. I know I went on a huge rant. I want to try and pull apart what you're saying here in a good way, not, not in a bad way. No, um, take it. Just to try and understand it. So what would it look like for somebody to evangelize based on John the Baptist's life? Mm-hmm. And what does it look like for somebody mm-hmm. to evangelize based on Peter's life? Okay. Like, what do those two models show us? I think the easiest look at evangelizing John the Baptist is kind of the individuals who their conviction leads to them to standing on the street corner with picket signs saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven. It's like they, like they they say the exact same things that like John the Baptist said. Yeah, uh, yeah like Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is come back. You better be prepared. This is what's happening. Be prepared. Turn from sin. That that would be kind of somewhat of a John the Baptist. Now I already think that that is a a, a somewhat of like a manipulation or perversion of what John the Baptist was doing, um, mm. even without like Peter's story going into it. But I, I I think a more my conviction when it comes to evangelism is more of a Peter story, whereas when someone comes in contact with the true and living God, when they have an experience with Jesus. Then they are made aware of their sin. That is when Peter sits there and goes, wait, I am in contact with someone so holy, so good. I am aware of, and and so full of light that I'm aware of the darkness and the sin within me. And my natural response is get away from me. You're, you're so different than I am. Get away. But Jesus in his love and his grace says, no, 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 no. Follow me. Partake more in me. Do what I want you to do. You're going to now fish for people. You now have a purpose. You now have a calling, all these things. And so evangelism from a Peter perspective is that we are trying, we are trying to get people to have an encounter with God Hmm. before they repent. And so, and as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, which is the current living of our Lord and Savior, of our Creator and of the Son, we view ourselves as the light and we can be an encounter of the goodness of the holiness of God and the love of God. And that's why Paul goes into making sure we are a holy people. The church needs to be holy because then we become active encounters. We become the representatives. We become the ambassadors, as Paul would say, of that kingdom that is near not in time, but in proximity based on our presence with the people around us, the community around us, the world around us. And so I see that as that is why Jesus enters into loving and caring relationships before he just steps in and goes, you need to repent before I step in. He gets there before the repentance. Hmm. And we believe in, and that's what, oh, I can go on another tangent based on my ordination candidate. Let's do it. Like, let's, let's talk about Talk to me about the Wesleyan quadrilateral and how that connects mm. to all this. All right, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So it's four parts. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, all building into our, our faith and our relationship with Christ. And they all interact with each other. How our experience 
feeds into how we read scripture, our tradition, our doctrine feeds how we read scripture, our reasoning, our logic, science, those things, like they're not contradicting, they're all together. But one of the things within the Wesleyan traditions, we believe in prevenient grace, which is the grace that goes before. It's the Spirit preparing, Holy Spirit preparing in us that encounter with Christ. It's the we don't save ourselves. It is that God saves us, that our repentance comes out of not us choosing to repent, but God calling us to him and us recognizing his presence and his love and his grace in our life. That's what salvation is, us recognizing who Jesus is and what that then means for us, which then means Peter was right. If I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I can no longer be engaged and in relationship with sin, which is what is against God, what is separating us from God. I hope that kind of answers your question. That's a lot there. And it's, it's pretty, it's, yeah, no. it's a little bit deep theology for this very short podcast. <laughs> I want to, I want to emphasize the importance of experience. Yeah. And okay. John the Baptist preparing the way mm-hmm. says, repent, turn from your ways because the Messiah is coming. Right. Mm-hmm. Those people haven't experienced the Messiah. They haven't mm-hmm. experienced the Holy Spirit. Probably the message. Yeah. The message is turn right. away. Turn away. The message to Peter is repent, turn from your ways, follow Jesus because you've experienced Experience Jesus. Experience me. And so if we're going to pick one of those models mm-hmm. from which we base our relationships with others mm-hmm. on, I think it's the Peter model. I think it's the model based on experience because we live in a world where the Holy Spirit is at work. Mm -hmm. We live in a world where the life of Jesus is laid bare to us in the Bible. Experience is such a critical part of our faith journey. And I think that explains why we get caught in legalism at times. Legalism being do this, don't do this. This is the right way in order to be in a faithful, committed relationship, committed relationship with God, with Jesus. But if I just keep telling you do and don't do this, the question will be why? And the why has to be, it's the experience of the love and grace of God. And so when we say do and don't, like when we say that this is sin or this is not sin, or when the Bible says this is sin, this is not sin, our understanding of why we choose not to sin is so important. It's not that, oh, I do and don't do this just because you told me to. It's because if we view sin as participating in brokenness and darkness rather than participating in goodness and in light, then of course we're going to want to, we're going to want to rethink what we're doing here. But if we view that as Christians, we are supposed to be like Jesus, that we are supposed to be participating in the light and goodness of Jesus, which then has a care and respect for and a love for the creation of God, then we are not going to want to hurt God's creation. If we have an experience with Jesus, with our Lord, that then says, I am valuable and other creation is valuable, then we want to do what is best for the goodness of God's creation. And when we sin, we are actively choosing to hurt or to disregard the goodness of what God created. And so when I experience, if I, if I'm going through a legalistic approach of, Hey, just repent and don't do that anymore. I might not know why, but when I experience God and experience his goodness and, and see my value and other people's value, then I sit there and go, okay, that's why I'm not going to sin anymore because I don't want to hurt God's creation because mm-hmm. I've experienced God's goodness. And that's why I think Peter leaves everything and follows him is once he has tasted and seen God's goodness, then how can you not follow? How could you not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the nuance between 
John the Baptist's experiences and Peter's experiences are small, but they have big implications for how mm. we live today. Thank you for texting me this a few days ago, because this isn't something that I had considered. And I, and honestly, I've heard messages about evangelism preached from both John the Baptist and Peter's perspectives. I think we conflate them sometimes, or we assume that they mean the same thing. And there's, I think that's an important distinction. Experience is critical to your life and relationship with Jesus. And we can't just discount that. And we live in a world where we don't have to discount it. We have the privilege of experience. You're right. We cannot discount the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And we cannot discount the Holy Spirit's work in other people's lives through us. Again, our evangelism should come out of who we are and mm -hmm. who God is shaping us and making us to be. That is, I mean, it's the classic like youth group going, hey, sit with the person at lunch who doesn't you know, no, like who, who ha doesn't have anyone they're sitting by because like out of love, out of care, we see a Jesus who does that. And then we do that and they experience Jesus within that. They experience the love and the goodness within that. That's why one of the greatest questions of all time is what's different about you. And we get to sit there and go, Oh, that goodness, that isn't me. That is my creator and your creator. And I would love for you to experience that goodness too. That is mm -hmm. a beautiful form of evangelism. Oh, that's so true. And we, each of us has a unique experience in this world. Mm -hmm. And that unique experience shapes what we're passionate about, mm -hmm. what we want to speak into, what hurt and brokenness we see in the world. And we mm -hmm. see our role as addressing and so, of course, our relationships with others, our evangelism to others is all going to be colored by experience. Mm -hmm. And to, to discount the idea that experience is going to be influential in the people that you're ministering to is to discount the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in to Cole and Zach in the morning. Uh, we have some pretty awesome episodes ahead. We're excited. Uh, so please check in next week. Until then, we will see you later. And if you want to touch base with us on Facebook or Instagram through Cole and Zach in the morning or Cole and Zach in the morning.com. We are always taking content and uh, subject, uh, subject submissions. So don't hesitate to reach out. See everyone. Have a great week. Have a great week.